Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Use singletracks.com slash deals to find the best prices on mountain bike gear. This week, we've got a huge list of hand-picked Black Friday deals, coupon codes from our partners, and links to more than 35 online retailers having major sales. Look out for big savings on everything from Pock helmets and Pearl Azumi clothing to complete bikes from Evil and Mondraker. Use the search function at singletracks.com deals to compare prices from dozens of online retailers anytime. That's singletracks.com deals. Hey everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. My name is Jeff, and today my guest is Ron Bergen. So Ron is the executive director of the Schwamigan Area Mountain Bike Association, also known as CAMBA, located in northern Wisconsin. The club is known for maintaining a really well-regarded network of mountain bike trails and for hosting popular races and events, including the Schwamigan Mountain Bike Festival and the Bora Epic. Camber recently worked with River Falls Research Center on a study linking trail visits to economic impact in two surrounding counties. Thanks for joining us, Ron. Oh, my pleasure, Jeff. Good to uh, connect up with you again and happy to always happy to talk about Camber and the, and the the great things we do in this uh, study that we just finished up this spring. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about CAMBA. How did the group get started and how long have you been involved? Well, CAMBA has been around uh, for about 27 years. I've been, uh, I've been involved since the very beginning. I guess I'm one of the few remaining uh, founding members um, that, are, that are active, but we're based in uh, little, small towns of Cable and Hayward, uh, Wisconsin, and we also have trails in a little further north in in and near Bayfield, Wisconsin. Okay, we span uh, two we span two counties. Uh, we work on three major public land bases: the Schwamming and Nicolay National Forest, uh, Bayfield County Forest, and Sawyer County Forest, as well as as uh, some partnerships with private landowners as well. So this is a uh, they're obviously a very rural area. We're in the northern, you know, most part of the state, mm-hmm. you know, lightly populated, but again, with a lot of public land. And that's been one of our our strongest um, assets is having access to this public land with generally very cooperative land managers. We haven't had a whole lot of issues with access over the years. And that's it's been um, Super helpful in streamlining uh, everything that we wanted to do. Canva hmm. um, got started initially because um, there were a lot of entities trying to get some trails going in the area, mostly associated with bike shops, and everybody was kind of doing their own thing. Um, but it, there was nothing that was cohesive or well organized. And uh, the local chamber of commerce thought, well, it'd be a good time, you know. The time might be right to have a conversation about trails in the area. And this was 1992, I believe. Mm-hmm. So a group of people came together just to talk trails uh, with the chamber. And it really wasn't originally intended to be a mountain bike trails conversation, but it, it very quickly 
moved in that direction. And then, you know, the long story short, um, things started coming together over the next few months. We incorporated as a nonprofit, created a board of directors. I was appointed to that board uh, along with six others who were either involved in the sport or a business person in, in the area and got up and got up and running by that by the end of the next summer we had mapped and marked 300 miles of of trails and route wow and yeah it was a crunch it was a super heavy crunch that we uh, put in a lot of time and it wasn't just marking the trails too it was uh, creating maps creating other collateral materials and um you know trying to start to get the word out about about the whole the whole effort so Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and cross-country skiing is a big activity in the area in the winter. Did Was that in place before the mountain biking or uh, which one sort of came first? Uh, no, the skiing definitely was. That kind of got a gradual start back in the 70s. Um, mountain biking didn't start to uh, take root until the early 80s. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I guess the the point is this is an area where these types of activities are, are strong and they, they are the, you know, lifestyle sports that people like myself have come here to, to enjoy. And it's, they've attracted us to the area and that, that trend is, has continued for, for many years. Mm. But, you know, with, as far as the trails and riding the area, the ski trails did provide a venue for that early on the, the American Berkebiner ski race is here. So that's a, a world renowned ski trail mm -hmm. runs, between the two major communities of Cable and Hayward. So that was a place to go ride your bike. There were other ski trails in the National Forest. One of the more popular ones was the Rock Lake Ski Trail, not far from Cable. Mm. And um, that was a real fun trail. But the thing with, you know, as you might imagine, with those trails, they were designed for skiing, which design uh, considerations don't always carry over well to mountain biking with regard to sustainability. So but in, initially provided a lot of good places to ride. The other big thing, Jeff, around here, we do a lot of big events. So there is the American Berkebiner that has kind of set the stage as, as a you know, gold standard of major events. But mm -hmm. in the early 80s, the Schwamming and Fat Tire Festival came around as well and quickly grew to be one of the largest uh, competitive events in the country. That's not a. That wasn't a Canva event. Um, there was a separate separate organization, and um, they they put that on, and that rapidly grew. But so that gave people uh, a, a glimpse of the area and some of the riding. The the that event, however, you know, didn't really use any of the existing mountain bike trails. It was uh, more you know snowmobile trails, ski trails, some gravel. Mm -hmm and linked up a, a long distance route 40 mile route from hayward up to cable but again um you know the unfortunate thing at the time is that was one of the few times people ever came here to ride huh. primarily because they didn't know where to go and <laughs> yeah you know if they headed out if they had find their way back so that was you know again that was why canva was created so that people could come and enjoy a ride without you know spending the whole afternoon finding the way out of the woods mm -hmm. yeah well, you described the area as, as being sort of a rural area. What are the main sources of employment for folks uh, who live in the, the area there? And what, like, who are the residents? Are there full-time residents? Is it sort of a tourism-based community? Yeah, it's a real mix, but it's largely a, a, a tourism-based uh, community for sure. A um, lot of lakes, a lot of 
into the more traditional out sports, outdoor sports of hunting and fishing, and then at, and then all the other uh, uh, recreational activities like mountain biking, road biking, skiing. Mm. Uh, it's cr- pretty much all cross country skiing. There's not a whole lot of downhill in the area. Uh, a few small hills, and then uh, motorized sports as well. As far as the other major industries, primarily uh, wood products, the uh, you know, logging industry is big and uh, very prominent with all this public land and, and forest forests. So that that's a big part of it. But you know the the people, you know, if you were to kind of cross section the, the type of people, it's really evolved over the years. I mean, there's been a big influx of folks like myself that, you know, didn't grow up here, but have moved here and learned to love the area and uh, or grown to love the area mm-hmm. and just what it has to offer. So more and more people, they might start with a second home or come, come visit as a tourist and then gradually say, well, this is a place I'd like to be, but how do I make a living has always been the big question. So, <laughs> right. That too has changed now with the advent of uh, you know distance, you know, being able to work from a distance. Yeah, the technology we have, but um, yeah. So those you know tourism, logging, government, and uh, you know, and then a lot of service service support industry that you know that caters to the the uh, the tourism economy, uh, lodging and, and food and beverage. Yeah. Has that mix of employment changed over the years or has it been pretty steady? It remains much the same, I think. Yeah, um, I, th- I think the the powers of the area, they would like to see that change and try to bring in other industries and, and tech uh, business. But so far, there's not a whole lot of that. But I, I think, it, I think you know, that's probably going to change as, especially, you know, uh, as a result of the whole COVID experience with people learning that, you know, we don't really have to go to report to an office every day to, to do a good job at work. So mm-hmm. yeah, I see that happening. Yeah. Well, let's talk about this economic study uh, that your club, along with some others, recently undertook. So part of the study involved counting the number of riders who visited the Canva trails. Tell us how you're able to get sort of a count of those trail users. Well, as you might imagine, it's a large trail system. We have probably upwards of 15 trailheads. So to get accurate counts is is a challenge because, you know, where do we place the trail counters to, to make sure we capture as much data as possible? We, ch- uh, we chose to go with about 10 or 12 locations where we could place uh, infrared trail counters and then monitor those throughout the year and go back and collect the data and then bring it back to the office, upload it, and then, uh, and then compile it all together. The, um, you know, I can't say with a hundred percent certainly it certainty it's, it is totally accurate because we get, uh, there's a certain amount of, uh, duplicate rides that, you know, people might pass the same trail counter more than once in a day. I mean, or pass, more than one trail counter within a ride, but we're, we're pretty comfortable that it's, it's reasonably accurate. And, uh, we came up, uh, with a, a count of a little over 38,000, um, trail users during the course of the prime. That was during the warm weather season, just during spring, summer, and fall. 
Yeah, that, that's interesting. Um, I think maybe a lot of writers aren't aware that these systems, one, that they even exist. I mean, a lot of times um, they're at your local trail system and you're not really aware of them. And that's that's cool. Did any uh, usage patterns sort of stick out in terms of the time of day or the day of week or or even can you get a sense of like how many people are riding based on weather or things like that with this trail data? So, something like weather, no, we, we did not correlate to that at all. Uh, um, that would be a little little above and beyond the scope of what we're trying to do. But I think in most cases, it was affirming a lot of what we already knew or what our gut feel was on trail use. Mm. A couple of good examples are, and, and it often corresponded to the, the type and character of trail. Uh, we created a new trail in this in and right near the city of Hayward in the last few years uh, in partnership with the Hayward area Memorial Hospital it's uh, on their property right around the hospital campus in Hayward mm-hmm. and the goal there was to really to create a gateway entry-level trail because we really didn't have many trails of that nature mm-hmm. and that trail really that that effort just really hit the nail on the head it took right off and became one of our most popular trails right, right out of the gate. And hmm. the, the trail research, the, you know, the trail counts that we did um, affirm that qu- quite obviously that um, registered the most, the most counts of any, any use. Whereas on the other hand, we still, we have a lot of trails that are more the old, old school, traditional, narrow, rustic, single track. Um, thinking of the Rock Lake Trail and the Ojibwe Trail. And they're both more challenging technical trails that um, the data shows the, the amount of use proportionately less hmm. for those trails. We've um, yeah. also made an effort in the last few years to to um, get on board with some newer, more contemporary design trails, flow style with, with a few jump line characteristics. And mm-hmm. those two have also shown, you know, positive reception and that, you know, through the, the trail counts and um, that's yeah and as far as other uh you know conclusions that we might come to really nothing too out of the ordinary our, our usage is what you might expect for a destination area mm-hmm. you know fairly middling during the the early and middle part of the week and then then scaling up on friday and then peaking on um, saturday and sunday mm-hmm. so um yeah, that that there were no surprises there, um, but uh, you know overall, I think the goal was to uh, just try to quantify better uh, the people that are coming here, the number of people that are coming here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting too to think about using that sort of as feedback for your trail building efforts to see you know what kinds of trails are people riding. You know, we open a new one. You know, how do they like that compared to the old ones? Part of this, too, involved uh, rider surveys where you actually sampled some of the riders, went out and asked them questions to get a little more detail about who they are and why they're riding, where they're riding. So what did you learn in terms of the visitors, in terms of their demographics and their desires about mountain biking? Yeah, um, let me briefly explain, you know, the methodology. It's uh, pretty much what you just described. So it was... Mm-hmm. Besides the trail counts, that was one one portion of it, but the rest were uh, doing in-person intercept studies at trailheads throughout the spring-summer period. Okay. 
you know, we've, we have done economic impact studies in the past. We've tried different methodology that involved um, online studies using event databases and other uh, more self-administered surveys. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the challenge always was, you know, to get, you know, it's, it's a lot of work to get people out there on a regular basis and gather enough, you know, surveys to make it a valid study. So that was a little, little, always a little daunting, but this time we did, you know, decide we to do it the, the right way, do get people at the trailhead, have live, live in-person surveys and collect our data that way. Mm-hmm. One thing I should mention too, is in doing all this, we were fortunate to receive some funding through the state of Wisconsin department of tourism. They have a a great program called the Joint Effort Marketing Grants, and mm-hmm. those grants helped us help fund some of the trail counters, and primarily the working with the University of Wisconsin River Falls to uh, create, compile, and create the compile the data, crunch the numbers, and create the report. Mm-hmm. I think I, as far as some of the uh, results and and the, the information we learn, uh, in some cases it was. Again, what we might have anticipated, we have, a, a st- and a lot of this may uh, very well correspond to what, you know, the picture, the, the portrait of mountain biking around the country. Our, our ridership in the study was uh, a full two-thirds male and, and roughly one-third female. Mm-hmm. Our age distribution probably skews older than a lot of areas and that's always been that's always seems to have been the the case uh can't quite say why except uh, you know in in more recent years as more and more flow and jump trails are 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 being built in other areas we haven't quite been there but now we are getting there but our our reputation has been that of a, a cross country riding mm-hmm. area yeah. and that's what we've kind of hung our hat on and we've built a lot, you know, just a lot of, we have between 120 and 130 miles of, of you know, purpose-built single track, mm-hmm. all of it interconnected now. So, wow. uh, well, almost all of it, except for the 20 miles of trails up in the, the Bayfield area. The rest of it is all interconnected. And we do have, um, we still maintain some two-track and gravel uh, routes um, as connecting routes on the trails um, mm-hmm. that are are still a good part of the system. We've We've really jettisoned much of the early system uh, that was primarily ski trail, snowmobile trail, and two track roads, and now it's you know come come around to the single track system. But you know, so I'd say I'm looking at a a, a graphic here that shows our 22 percent of our riders the, the riders responding to the survey were 55 to 64. There's five percent over 65. 29% between 45 and 54. And then it breaks out fairly evenly um, from there on down. Not a strong, not a strong contingent under 25. Hmm. Is that something though, that, that you as a club or an organization, would that ever be part of your goal or your mission to say like, we need to reach younger riders or, you know, more women? I mean, is that, Something when you look at that data, is that part of the idea that you would look at it and try to target those groups maybe in a different way? Yeah, that's exactly where I was going next. The um, our board of directors uh, put together a strategic plan last year, and you know, in conjunction w- w- with what we've learned here, 
it's definitely a, uh, a major goal to try to divert, diversify the ridership base, both in, you know, in, in age and gender. You know, we do have a, a pretty good representation of female riders, but uh, we do think there, you know, there could be more and we're doing things to, to encourage that mm-hmm. events such as uh, two really popular women's mountain bike clinics that we, we stage every year. Um, those have been very well subscribed. Yeah. Are you able to compare your data with, with other uh, trail systems around the country? I mean, to me, two-thirds men, one-third women. I mean, that sounds about right, I, I, but I also don't know. I don't know if that's good or bad or if that's about average. Um, I mean, it seems like not a lot of trail groups have done what you've done in terms of collecting quality data and, and really looking at this in a quantifiable way. Yeah, no, we haven't so far, and you know, I think it it would be a worthwhile exercise if we could find that other data and see how we stack up. I've always sort of been under the impression that female ridership was around thirty percent nationally, mm-hmm. um, and that may be supported by you know bike industry data uh, sales or otherwise. Mm-hmm. And it also corresponds to roughly to the gender breakdown in like the Schwamig and Fat Tire Festival, our big event, right. um, particularly on the longer distance races. And even the American Berkebiner Ski Race um, in the, on the longer distance uh, skews, you know, much heavier male uh, versus female, but that, that too is changing. So, hmm. you know, again, part of the purpose in doing a study like this is to, you know, learn our, of our deficiencies and then use, you know, use this as a tool, identify those and, and make an effort to uh, improve. Mm-hmm. I guess one thing that does also stand out um, demographically is our, uh, our riders are coming from a, a, a well-educated background fully 75 well actually more than that 80 almost 90 percent with at at least a bachelor degree bachelor's degree and over 30 34 percent with um graduate and professional degrees wow and then um in income ranging you know skewing again to the high end with uh say close to 60 plus percent over a hundred thousand dollar annual family income. Hmm. I mean, I think that's reflective too of, of just the fact that this is a desirable destination area to, to come play, whether it's Mm -hmm. uh, mountain biking or skiing or, you know, hanging out at a, at a lake resort around the region. So, and this same group tends to, to uh, spend a fair amount of money on, um, cycling related uh equipment and and gear and travel well let's let's talk about the economic impact of all of this so sort of the the bottom line number um that this study ultimately came up with was that the mountain bike trails generate 7.8 million dollars in economic impact each year so was that a surprise to you or to folks in the community when you found that um it it wasn't really a surprise um you know, there's been a lot of elusive numbers floating around, you know, just to trying to get a handle on what the dollar impact is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we were kind of hoping it would be even more just from, a, you know, wanting to to uh, show the value in the in the impact. Right. You know, it's an interesting dynamic in the area, whereas motorsports, they tend to be physically more visible than a lot of non-motorized trail users. And 
you know, I think the the non-motorized sports have gotten a bum rap over the years as uh, not being people who don't spend a lot of money. <laughs> right. Why is that? Because our equipment doesn't look like it's as expensive or, or just seem as... Yeah, you're just not, you know, you don't walk into a restaurant with a, a big, you know, snowmobile suit and a, you know, heavy hard shell helmet. <laughs> right. So your, your profile is a little, little smaller, but um, <laughs> in that regard, but uh, I think doing a study like this is, um, is really valuable then to help, you know, kind of debunk that whole business because I've never, I've never subscribed to it. It's like, really, come on, L- look at what the houses, these uh, people are, are staying at or buying mm-hmm. And, um, you know, mountain bikers enjoy, enjoy, um, putting down some craft beer after the ride. (laughs) And I, and I do think the rest of the communities are starting to see this. Um, Mm. but I live, I live right in cable and it's a small town, you know, like 800 people, but in the last, um, six or seven years, we've had at least three and, uh, and four, um, small restaurants pop up primarily because of the presence of the bike trails and in the winter sports as well. Uh, one of our favorite hangouts is a place called the Rivers Eatery. They saw this as a, as a viable path to follow because of the bike trails and the ski trails. And mm. they've had nothing but success from day one. And, um, and there's a, you know, a great little cafe that came around a couple of years ago, the, the Velo Cafe that, that, they deliberately are catering to this crowd and yeah. they're doing well. So it, it makes sense. But obviously the, the restaurants and hotels and motels are the largest. Um, mm-hmm. So that, that, that's not a bit, uh, a big surprise. It, it, it breaks out from there with, uh, you know, other retail sport, uh, sporting goods and, and other stores. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have probably four or five, you know, bike shops throughout the region. And that's, that's a lot for a, a, a small yeah. rural area, but they, they're all, they keep busy, especially their, you know, their service side of, of the business is, mm-hmm. is always scrambling. The other thing that doesn't always jump out at people as a, as far as an economic impact is the, the impact of people who purchase second homes here um, either as, as just as a, you know, a retreat uh, to come spend the weekend or a holiday mm-hmm or as a, a place to retire. The, the area has become a very attractive retirement mm-hmm. area just because of the, because of the trails. So the, this sub-economy, and it's not analyzed in this particular report, but there has been some casual um, analysis of the impact of second homeowners. And, and you'll look at areas between Cable and Hayward as a community uh, of Sealy, and there's one another one of the more popular restaurant bars there, the Sawmill Saloon. Uh, just as a tangent, is it an interesting place because it's it's half motorized sports and half non motorized, so it's a real mix of people in there. But in the Sealy area and a, a couple other areas around, the real estate developers have started building these clusters of single family homes mm-hmm. close to the trails, and these places, these developments are just filling up and there's more and more of them coming up and it's um, you know, so there's like little, little pods or communities of, of mostly bikers and skiers that are, are now coming up a lot of, a lot of them in that uh, Sealy area that I mentioned. So 
Yeah. Yeah. So I guess along with that, there's the construction jobs. There's um, obviously, you know, property tax revenues to the community that are coming in every year, regardless of, you know, how often the people are there utilizing those properties. And then you've got people maintaining those houses and, and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, that, that seems like a pretty significant impact as well. It is. It very much is. And then, you know, as over time, people, as they age, they decide, well, they just convert that second home to a retirement home. And, mm-hmm. and that's, um, and then, and then you see, which again may contribute to the slightly older skewing of our demographic, but, um, you see a lot of very fit 60, 65, 70 year old people out on the trails. It's pretty cool to see. Yeah. Awesome. Well, how big of a driver are these events uh, that take place on the trails every year, like the Schwamigan Mountain Bike Festival and the Bora Epic? Do those drive a good bit of spending uh, as sort of standalone events? They do. We we don't have a lot of data on that specifically. Um, you know, I should note that you know the Bora Epic, the Schwamigan Mountain Bike Festival, there are, are not Canva events, although we do. Um, work in partnership with the organizers mm-hmm. okay. on a lot of things. And actually Canva has been a beneficiary in a big way from both of those, as well as some other big events that have uh, donated partial proceeds or made substantial donations or facilitated some fundraising opportunities for us that we might do during the event. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you have the, the Schwamigan mountain bike festival come in and with you know, 3,000 riders plus families and mm-hmm. friends. Um, that is obviously a, a big impact. The, the Bora Epic is a, sp- a spring event, the first big event in the spring, and that sells out with 750 to 800 riders. Wow. Um, that one does use the single track trails. That event was actually created to help fund the trails um, years ago and still provides a nice, a nice boost of funding to us every year. But there's a lot of other smaller events that go on, too. Yeah. Well, you mentioned that the those events weren't specifically part of this study. So, I mean, do you think the trails alone can drive this meaningful economic impact in an area? Or do you also need those events to, to help out as well? Well, I, I think it's all a, you know, a big mixture of things that, that has to go into uh, you know, an economy in an area like this. No, I don't, I don't think the trails alone would would support the area there's there's too many other too many other needs and mm-hmm. but you know all together we you know we we become um, a more a significant factor and contributor to the you know the well-being and the economy of the area mm-hmm. but it all it all adds up and you know i think again it it uh, extends into what we're just talking about with um these ancillary uh, economic in, impacts of homes and and related things like that, but it you know it, it is a, a you know a sparsely populated area. Bayfield County, where I live, is only fourteen thousand people. Wow. And, um, Sawyer County, to the south, isn't isn't that much larger. Um, so, yeah, I think in in recent years, the the profile of trail use and trail users has definitely in, increased and. That's good. Yeah. Well, Canva also works in the winter to keep trails groomed for fat biking. Does that drive tourism in a significant way, or is that just something more for the locals? I, I'd have to characterize that right now as, as a developing aspect of the 
the economy. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're grooming about 50 miles of winter bike trails and primarily in the, the Hayward and Sealy and Cable area. Which is significant. I mean, I don't know that a lot of areas groom that many miles of trails for fat biking. You know, I don't think so. There's probably some pockets around the country that do. We were actually grooming even more. And for a couple of years, we had over around 70 miles. But it's uh, sometimes it's tough to justify the effort if they're, you know, a particular trail isn't getting a lot of use. Mm-hmm. We also get a lot of snow from time to time. So that <laughs> right, that, right. It's hard to keep up. That makes it a real hustle. And, and but we have a real dedicated team that um, that puts in a lot of effort to to get the trails groomed and keep that organized. But, you know, what we were, we were trying to quantify some of this a little bit more in the study that we did. Unfortunately, that was kind of a, one of the weaker uh, parts of it. It, we didn't gather nearly as much data as we would have liked um, during the winter, mm-hmm. but we were able between some trail counts and um, other questions that were asked, we did learn, we did learn, learn a few things and, Trail use is roughly 10% of the summer use in the winter mm. is what we um, we determined or okay. the study determined. And there were some other aspects of uh, some demographic shifts. Um, for example, uh, there were there was a higher percentage of women in the winter. Mm. Uh, people tend to ride in um, larger groups. There was a higher pr- proportion of winter riders that came from out of the two outside the two county area. Oh, wow. That's yeah, that's surprising. A few things like that stood out, hmm. but I, I would say, you know, like like some of these other things that we learned ter- demographically and and otherwise, this is an area that uh, we see room for improvement and has, um, again, it is one of the, those goal, the goals of our strategic efforts going forward is to, um, you know, try to try to improve that, leverage that to a greater to a greater amount, and you know, because it's it, it's a great asset and. Again, it, it's the same, uh, mostly the same public land base. Some of the winter trails are our regular single track trails, and others are just uh, winter only routes that we've put together. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's worked out pretty well. Yeah, cool. So, with so many of your trail users traveling from outside the area to ride the trails, is it difficult to find enough local volunteers to maintain those trails? I mean, it seems like you're trail maintainers uh, are obviously going to be the local folks, but but you have a lot more people using the trails. Yeah, we approach that in a couple of different ways, Jeff. The um, we, we have volunteers, uh, we just call them trail stewards, that have kind of adopted either entire clusters of trails or segments of trail within one of our, our trail clusters. Uh, our trail clusters are broken down kind of by town, Cable, Sealy, Hayward, and Mount Ashwood Bay area and Bayfield. Uh, and and also Namakagan, but the trail stewards are generally responsible for removing a down tree that comes up, you know, falls on the trail, or some brushwork, and keeping the, that sort of thing going. Once in a while, if there's a logging operation that might have an impact, they'll you know help uh, reroute or detour the trails or clean up some of the impacts. But we would not survive on volunteers alone with all these trails. And that's, yeah. that's been, um, you know, the realization over time, partly coming to the conclusion that, okay, at some point we have to pause on developing trails 
and make sure they stay in good shape. So mm, yeah, we, we annually now employ a summer crew anywhere from three to five people to maintain and do trail work to, um, to make sure that the trails are in good shape. Mm-hmm. And that that's the ticket. It wouldn't happen to the same level. Otherwise, it's been a it's been a real blessing that we've been able to afford to do that, and the the level of the work that we've seen come out of our crew is just um, just astounding. So it it makes a big difference. So speaking of volunteers in in general, you know, again with all of the uh, events that we have, that can be a challenge too. But uh, surprisingly, uh, we are able to rally uh, the the necessary volunteers for for all the big events and and for the the Canva events as well. So that 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 has worked out well. The area has a reputation for uh, being able for great volunteer spirit and, and volunteer support. Yeah, well, and I, I imagine though it's it's tough to have a sustainable amount of funding as well for your group. I mean, obviously, there's no charge to ride the trails. Anybody can show up and ride the trails, and you know you'll never see a dollar from that. So is funding uh, the trail work and that sort of thing a challenge or um, are you able to work with these events to sort of raise funds? I mean, how, how do you do that um, if you're not being paid directly by the users of the trails? It's a mixed bag, like a lot of nonprofits, you know, we, um, so we, we gladly accept donations. We have um, pretty solid core of, of sponsors. We sell some advertising in a, a trail guide that we publish mm-hmm several grants this year was a particularly good year for grants we've brought in close to seventy thousand dollars in in different grants mostly wow. for the trails and that it's not like that every year but uh things kind of clicked this particular year the there are not a lot of appropriate grants out there for what we do unfortunately so that is a challenge but we've done some big fundraising events too our big thing of of late has been bike raffles we'll We'll get some nice bikes donated by major manufacturers like Trek, Pivot, and Specialized, and they'll uh, and we'll we'll stage a, a raffle uh, or two. We some, we'll often do more than one. Um, a little over a year ago at the Schwamigan uh, Mountain Bike Festival, we did a two-day raffle, sold 400 tickets at $50 a piece, and raised $20,000 in two days. Wow! Wow! So that that's astounding and. This year, we were attempting working with a local Ford uh, dealer to raffle a, a, a new Ford Ranger truck. <laughs> Whoa! The COVID kind of put a put a monkey wrench in that because we lost a lot of our uh, live in person sales opportunities. Mm-hmm. But right. um, we still managed to. Uh, we didn't give away the truck because of the the level of sales uh, didn't quite didn't support it. Right. But we did. It was converted to a cash. You know cash raffle so we split the cash and a local lucky local guy was able to put twenty thousand dollars into his pocket whoa wow <laughs> canva pocketed a similar amount so yeah wow so things like that and you know it takes a lot of hustling uh you know like like any nonprofit. our, our budget runs 225 to 250 uh 100 250,000 mm-hmm. or so a little higher probably and it that has sort of leveled around that around that point. We're hoping to see it grow. We'd like to be able to support more staff because um, I've been working as a part-time executive director for the last 25 years. Wow, that's a long run. 
It is. And I'm not sure if you're aware, but I have um, announced my plans to retire at the end of this year. So I think it's good now that, you know, that we're going to make the jump and hire a full-time uh, executive director. That'll make it a lot easier to, you know, just to stay focused on major fundraising and marketing and, and other uh, initiatives that have to go on to, uh, to, to keep the, keep the whole thing rolling. So that's encouraging. And I think, I think it'll all uh, come together pretty well uh, as far as that goes. Yeah. Well, now that you're able to put this dollar amount on trail-related tourism, does that make it easier to advocate for more funding or more trails? I mean, like the Chamber of Commerce, you know, potential sponsor, they can kick in money because they know they're going to get a return on it in terms of, you know, helping local businesses? Well, it definitely validates what we're doing. So when we go pitching a sponsor or... Uh, making a, a grant proposal, it shows that you know we're the real deal. We're following through on what we say we're going to mm-hmm. going to do. The chambers of commerce support us in in other ways, with um, not so much with cash, although they do both. Uh, the ma- the major chambers around the area are um, our sponsors, but they have a lot of things that they have to focus on as well. But I, I just think on the whole, it it really it really validates, you know, the, the fact that the, the trails are are a real component, a uh, you know, strong component of the, the local economy. Yeah. Well, are there any plans to make changes or take on new projects based on uh, what the Canva Club has learned from this study? Yes, actually. So the one of the, as I mentioned a bit ago, um, you know, we there there came a point or where. It was not really uh, sustainable to to keep thinking that we can build another five miles of trail every summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the cost of trail building, especially now going with more and more with professional builders, is has really escalated. And grant while they build great trails and you know, a lot of a lot of fun and 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 cool, the cost the the cost factor is is tough. So yeah, but more importantly, you know, it's the maintaining what we have. I mean, we really have to get behind what we have, I think, and, and make sure that we continue to uh, keep the trails safe for riders, keep them, you know, environmentally sustainable, mm-hmm. keep the fun element uh, strong. So uh, I'm not saying we'll never build anything new, but we will be building smaller things that are enhancements or uh, improvements to what we have. And then the big push right now, Jeff, is is kind of a rehab effort throughout the whole trail system to get out and uh, go back and visit some of our older trails, uh, make sure they're 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 still sustainable and safe and fun to ride. Convert some of some of the trails to uh, a newer, more contemporary style. Uh, we just did a project this uh, late this summer in Hayward on the Hatchery Creek Trail. This was one of our oldest trails that had really, um, it started out a little more difficult than we really wanted it to be, but then at the age, it got even more difficult. <laughs> and it was not, you know, it wasn't meeting what it was supposed to be doing when we first built it. So we went, right. started a rehab project effort there to make it, um, to bring it more in line, uh, you know, with maybe not as easy as an entry level trail, but more of an easy level trail to get, you know, youth and women and seniors and people out riding. Mm-hmm. And that, that too, too has been recognized 
as, as a need for Canva. To, we, we, we have a lot of intermediate trail. We have some most difficult trail, but we're still pretty shy on easy level trail. So we're that that's a that's a goal is to try to build more or adapt trails to cater to that um, that level of rider. And but uh, the whole rehab effort is an important thing. So little by little, we're touching on what we the intent is to touch on almost every trail and mm. and improve areas and put some spice in where needed. <laughs> you know, bring bring things up to you know contemporary character and standards where um, we're also needed. So that's a big part of where, where we are going forward. Yeah. That's really interesting too, that that's sort of what you found. You know, I think a lot of clubs, especially newer clubs or areas that are just getting started with mountain bike trails, focus a lot on the quantity um, and even mountain bikers too. You know, we want to go, we think we want to go where there's a lot of trail, but really seems like this is more getting back to the idea of quality over quantity and, and just focusing on making the trails you have really good. Um, and you know, your data backs that up too. I'm sure where you can say, you know, look, people are riding this core set of trails, you know, it's great that we have, you know, another hundred miles, of single track, but you know, this 25 mile section, that's really what people want to ride. And so, I think focusing on that, it's really cool to see that data-driven approach to trail building and, and trail maintaining. Well, the, the reaction to this effort has been interesting, too, because even if it's a, a stretch of trail that's only an eighth of a mile long it, that we go back and rework, put in some flow, put in some berm turns, uh, some rollers and easy jumps, people, they just get giddy about it. And it's like, it to them, it's like a new trail. It's like we built a new trail. So I think that kind of reaction is is affirming to what we're doing and will will help us um, keep this whole whole thing moving forward and maintain interest the rider's interest. Another effort we've made in recent years is try to um, I- expose the cycling world to the the great gravel riding that we have around here too. Mm, we've got right. tons and tons of uh, well maintained gravel roads, and uh, a year or so ago we put together a a map and some digital assets to help people uh, find where to go out there. So that's uh, that's another um, another facet to what we do, even though it's not single track. Yeah, gravel riding is definitely picking up, and yeah, that's cool to see that growth as well. Ron, thanks so much for joining us and for telling us about this study. It's really unique, I think, and hopefully we'll see other trail groups doing similar things in the future. So thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it, Jeff. Well, you can learn more about what Canva is up to and plan your visit at canvatrails.org. And we'll have a link to that and also to the full study uh, report in the show notes. That's all we've got this week. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>